0: Good morning. Um, It is an honor to be here today and to share the word with you. Um, I told the first two services, one of the things that I love about our church is that each Sunday I watch as the congregation comes in excited to hear the word of God. And I hope that that is something that our church never loses because the word of God is truly a gift. And I just love that I get to be a part of a body that. Loves the Lord's Word and loves understanding and knowing it. And so today I'm gonna share with you a little bit of the journey that the Lord has taken me on over the past few months. Back in September, I had the honor of going to Kansas City for a training for my job. I work with a missionary, I'm sorry, ministry called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I went to Kansas City for a training. And one of the speakers spoke on the book of Galatians. And some of what he shared really... Stood out to me and it, it got my attention and so I began to study and since that time the Lord keeps bringing me back to the book of Galatians and he keeps Sharing sharing some things with me and showing me these things so i'm going to take you a little bit on that journey and Hopefully it'll spark some things in you to study Galatians a little deeper as well um, but Our core verse what i'm going to do today is we're actually going to look at the whole book Okay, I promise I won't read the whole thing to you, so you don't have to worry. But we're going to look at the whole book. But I'm going to read for you the verses where we're going to land. So you have an idea of where we're going. Okay, so we're going to go to Galatians chapter five, verse twenty five. And it says this, if we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too become tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. So I have a confession to make. When I have studied the book of Galatians in the past, I've gotten to Galatians 5. And if you've read it before, you know that the verses right before that are the fruits of the spirit. Great verses. And I've studied those in depth. And then I would go, well, the rest of the book, it's kind of just Paul saying goodbye. Love you guys. I'll see you soon. So I can kind of just read it and and move on to my next Bible study. And so the Lord stopped me in chapter six and he's like, no, there's really good stuff in here too. And I began to study. And the more I studied, the more I realized the depth that Paul ends this letter with. So in order to understand the depth of these verses, we have to look at Galatians in context. When you study the word of God, remember, context is key. A lot of bad doctrine was founded because someone took a verse out of context. Context is key whenever you study God's word. So when you are looking at letters in the New Testament, the first question you want to ask about the context is who was this letter written to? Well, the letter of Galatians was written to four churches, four churches in the province of Galatia, hence Galatians. See how creative Paul was there. All right. So he wrote it to four separate churches that he founded You can read about him going on his missionary journey to found those churches in Acts 13 and 14. I encourage you to do that this week. Go home, read Acts 13 and 14 for yourself. I won't make you sit while I read it to you. Don't worry. It's going to be all right. Go home, read it for yourself, and remind yourself as you're reading about these churches that this is what this letter, these are the people this letter was written to. The letter was believed to be Paul's first letter so he wrote this pretty early on in his ministry and this is what happened in acts 13 and 14 we find that paul goes to four different cities in galatia he shares the gospel people accept the gospel then he goes back through those cities on his way home make sure that the churches that were established there are doing well they understand they they get who jesus is they get what the gospel is and he goes home then he gets notice that this group of quote-unquote Christians called the Judaizers had gone to these churches in Galatia and had started preaching a different gospel. And their gospel went something like this. They were Jewish people, and they said that the Old Testament prophesied about Jesus, which is true, And since the Old Testament was Jewish, then Jesus must be the Jewish Messiah. So in order for a Gentile, a Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish, in order for a Gentile to accept Jesus as Savior, they must first become Jewish. Okay? I don't know about you, but no matter how much I say I am Jewish, I am still Finnish. That's not going to change who I am, right? So we have to understand, once again, context of scripture. In the Old Testament, in the books of the law, God gives a provision for the Gentile to worship him. And he says this, that if a Gentile wants to serve him, Jehovah, that Gentile must be circumcised to enter into the covenant that the Jews had with God. So the Judaizers come into the church and they say, well, if you want Jesus to be your savior, you have to be circumcised and you have to obey the law. And Paul finds out. And so he writes this letter to the church of Galatia and he starts it off in Galatians one verse six like this. He says, I am astonished. In the Greek, the word for astonished here, it indicates pain and disappointment. He's saying, you've hurt my heart. I'm hurt. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So he writes to Galatia and he says, this gospel the Judaizers are preaching is not the gospel. And then he goes through the next few chapters of Galatians and he makes an intellectual argument by comparing the law and the gospel of Christ. And the big picture of what he explains is that the law is here for two reasons and two reasons only. The first is that the law is like an x-ray that exposes our sin. You see, our sin, it's like this brokenness that keeps us from the holiness of God. And the reason that we know we are unholy, the reason that we know we are not like God because of sin, is because the law showed us. If you ever read the law, it's not going to take a long time for you to go, there is no way I can keep all of this. I can't do it. So it's like you take a broken person and you set them next to someone who is perfect and you shine a light on all the areas that they're different. That's what the law was there to do. It was to show us that we cannot save ourselves. The second thing that the law does is that it points us to Jesus. Every word of the law, every commandment, if you study it, points to Jesus Christ. Everything that God tells Israel to do is a picture pointing to the Messiah because God didn't want Israel to miss the Messiah. He wanted to make sure that when Jesus came, they would recognize him. So he gave them the law. So Paul says the law is twofold. It exposes your sin And it points to Jesus. But the problem with the gospel of the Judaizers was that the Judaizers were saying that the Messiah over here was pointing to the law. That you accepted Jesus so that you could go to the law. They had flipped it. They had gotten it backwards. So he continues in Galatians 3 starting in verse 13 he says christ redeemed us from the curse of the law why is the law a curse because the law shows you that you're broken but the law cannot heal you so you're sitting there now aware of your brokenness and there's nothing you can do about it it's pretty miserable He said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That phrase, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, is a direct quote from the law. And it is a prophetic quote about Jesus dying on the cross. It pointed directly to Jesus. And the word for redemption in there." That word, it paints a beautiful picture for us in the Greek of someone who's taking what they have, taking all the money they have, going to a slave auction, buying a slave for the sole purpose of setting them free. So he's saying the law exposed your sin, but Jesus bought your freedom. There's a difference there. Then he keeps going. He keeps contrasting the law and he keeps contrasting the gospel of grace. And we get to Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, and it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. English is a very boring language. And I'm going to show you why. Okay. If I say walk, That can mean a lot of things. Walk to your car. Walk to your house. Walk quickly. Walk slowly. Walk backward. Walk in circles like my son just, you know. There's so many different things that that can mean. But in the Greek, Paul uses a very specific word. And the word that he uses has a lot of meaning. And the first part of that meaning is, it means a stroll. Someone who is walking peacefully. They're not worried. They're not anxious. They're not in a hurry. They're not trying to just get things done. They're just strolling. But it's someone who's strolling in circles. Like this. And it paints this picture of someone who's walking through their everyday life. I get up in the morning... I drink my coffee because I need it, right? Talk to Jesus because I need him. Hopefully, I brush my teeth, okay? Um, All the different things. I talk to my family. I get dressed. I go to work. I come home. I have dinner, right? Go through my everyday routine of life is this picture that he's painting, and he's saying when you're going through your everyday routine of life, do that with the spirit of God next to you. Right. So then suddenly it's not just I go to church on Sunday morning and then I go on with my life. No, it's I wake up in the morning and good morning, Jesus. I'm so glad I get to do today with you. Reading the word as you go, praying as you're driving, talking to your family about Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Doing this and then the word for walk here doesn't just mean walking in circles, but it's someone who has walked in circles so much that the environment in which they are walking has changed. So he's saying, walk with the spirit. Walk so closely to him that your environment changes. Walk so closely to him that your home changes. That when you step into work, your workplace changes. Walk so closely that the environment of your life begins to shift. And he says, when you walk with the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The word for desire there indicates obsession. You'll no longer be obsessed with what the world is obsessed about. You'll no longer be obsessed with worry and sleepless nights. You'll no longer be obsessed with your bank account. You'll no longer be obsessed with keeping up with the Joneses. You're no longer going to have the obsessions that you had before. Why? Because of the next verse. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. You can't do both to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Then he says in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Orgies and things like these, I warn you as I have warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. The beautiful thing about the fruit of the spirit is that it is not nine different fruits. It is one fruit that shows itself in nine different ways. Which means that if you are walking with the spirit, every one of those things is at your disposal. If you should choose to use them. Then he keeps going and he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, our main text. If we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. That means something a little different now, doesn't it? We're walking with the Spirit, so let's keep in step with him. If he says move fast, we move fast. If he says slow down, we slow down. We don't determine the pace of our lives. He determines the pace of our lives. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Oh, wait a second. There's other people walking with me. There's other people walking with me. And you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to be kind to each other. We're supposed to be friends. That's nice, right? We get to walk with the spirit, but I don't have to do this alone. I have the body of Christ that is also walking with the spirit. What would happen in our cities and in our families and in our nations if we as a church all began to walk with the spirit together? That's what we're supposed to do. That's the gospel. So then he goes and he says, you know, don't envy one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, hold up. I thought we were walking with the spirit. How is somebody caught in a transgression if he's walking with the spirit? Well, in Paul's day. Hunters hunted a little differently than they do now, and they would set traps, and the way that they would set traps is they would dig holes in the ground, and then they would cover up those holes to trap, and sometimes they would put, like, in the, mo- in the middle, they'd have, like, a pole, and they'd tie, like, a goat or a sheep if they were, like, Um, trying to trap a lion to attract them to the trap. But the gist is they would have a hole. So we're walking, right, as the body of Christ, and one of us steps in the trap, and we fall in. And we get caught in sin that we didn't intend to get caught in, but the Bible does say that the enemy is out to get us, and, and we get caught in one of his traps, and we fall into this hole. And it says, If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Whenever I think of restoration, I think of giving back to someone something that I owe them, right? Like if Shane gives me $5 to borrow and then I go and I give him $5 back, I have restored his $5 unto him. But why does Paul say to do that with gentleness, Personally, if someone was restoring something that was mine, I would be glad. However, they restored it. Why would I need them to be gentle about it? Well, in the Greek, the word for restoration that is used here is a medical term that means to reset the bone. Okay, so suddenly I understand why it needs to be done gently, because if you've ever had a bone reset or seen a bone reset, you know it's extremely painful. In Paul's day, it could be a very long process. People could die, actually, from resetting of a bone if it wasn't done properly. So they had to take their time. They had to know what they were doing to reset that bone. So he says, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So he's painting this picture. We're all walking along and step with the spirit according to the spirit. And somebody steps in a trap, falls in, lands on their leg wrong. Their leg gets broken. And what does he say to us as the body of Christ? Hi down there. I don't know if you knew this, but your leg is broken the law told me, okay, bye. No, he doesn't say to do that, right? He comes and he says, we know because of the law that their leg is broken. The x-ray is there, we see it. He says, we reach and we pick them up out of the pit. We give them the gospel once again. We let the gospel reset that break. And then he says, In verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He says, The law of Christ, the gospel is this that the gospel resets the break, and then we take them and we put them around our shoulder, their arm around our shoulder, and we walk with them until they can walk again. And we take them on the journey with us. That's the gospel. The law is the x ray. The Messiah is the physician. The gospel heals. The law exposes. It's still necessary because we have to know the break is there. The law exposes, but the gospel heals. And Paul says to the church, any gospel that tells you differently is not the true gospel. Any gospel that limits that healing to a nation or a people group or an appearance is not the true gospel. Because Jesus died for the nations because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is king of the nations. So he says, anyone who tells you differently, any gospel that tells you differently, any gospel that leaves you broken is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Any gospel that leaves you broken, that tells you differently, takes Jesus off of his throne and makes him smaller than he is meant to be. So today... As we sing our closing hymn, I want us to take time to examine our hearts. Ask the Lord, say, Lord, have I embraced a gospel that is less than what you died to give me? And if I have, then Lord, let your gospel reset that And then take time and thank him for the fact that he is king, he is the healer, and he has a better gospel for us.